0: The Doctor Who Show with Rob and Dave Hello and welcome to the Doctor Who Show. I'm Dave. And I'm Rob. And this is not a hot take. This is our regular November monthly episode. Uh, So we will be having a little bit of a break from the flux uh, and having a bit of a fun time, hopefully with a a, a different topic. But we will be talking about all of your letters from the first half of flux. So uh, won't be quite flux free. But, uh, but no, it's going to be a, a a fun episode, I think. Rob, how are
1: you? Ah, oh, Dave, I'm I'm very well. I'm I'm really looking forward to this. This is our light and frothy topic for the uh, for the year, I think.
0: Yeah, something to uh, break up all of the hot take reviews and all the other stuff we put out. So, yeah, I think it's going to be good. Our topic, of course, for this month being, uh, well, I don't don't quite know what we say pithily, but it's basically we are going to put Tardis crews into other TV series. It's a crossovers episode.
1: That's the one. I'm looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, me too, me too. So look, we will dive in. We'll start off with a little bit of news. Not a lot of news because, Mm -hmm. let's face it, the show's happening. Exactly. (laughs) The show's (laughs) happening. Um, But the show's going to stop happening soon. That's the first piece of news that I've got here. Mm. An article that went around uh, from the Radio Times making comment that the Jodie Whittaker Tata set is being dismantled. Rob, this is probably some of the most exciting news that has made me more happy than any other news i've read out on this show for a very long time
1: well what if it's being rebuilt somewhere dave what if it's being rebuilt at russell's pad for you know (laughs) bad wolf they've got their own pad you know maybe they're going to rebuild it there no i don't think they're going to do that
0: no i don't so so what what the article actually says and i'll just read from it here In a now-deleted Instagram post, user at Film posted an image of what appeared to be a piece of the latest TARDIS interior set accompanied by the message. When you know someone working at Doctor Who and you get asked, would you like a piece of the TARDIS set as it's being pulled down? When contacted by RadioTimes.com, the BBC declined to comment. Mm. Uh, Look, we know that Jodie's done her last scenes for the series, uh, it is reasonable to assume that when the new creative team and production company comes in, they want to do their own set, not least because that's sort of been the standard we've had in You Who. New team comes in, new doctor comes in, new TARDIS set. They get all the buzz out of that. Plus, this set is absolutely terrible and awful <laughs> and ugly. So no wonder they want to get rid of it. But uh, whilst we're still in the middle of the Jodie Whittaker era and there's a lot to come, it is it is ending. The ending mm. is coming. Hopefully, it's being prepared for. Uh, Rob, you've got a little bit more on this as well as this story, I think.
1: I, I do. I, I do want to comment on this briefly because people were talking about it and saying, well, does this mean Jodie doesn't regenerate in the TARDIS? Or have they filmed enough plates, I think is the technical term for them, of the old TARDIS so that the new Doctor can sort of stand up and look like they're in the old TARDIS, even though the set is gone, you know, when they start filming in six months or a year from now or whenever they start filming. Uh, How will that all work? It's got people really thinking about it and how will the new TARDIS come about and all of this sort of stuff. So that's quite interesting in itself.
0: Yeah, I mean, given that we know that previous Doctors have regenerated without seeing each other. I didn't find that particularly extraordinary. But I I, I get why people might, you know, be but speculating. But they've had the set behind it. Yeah, them. yeah, I, look, I, I, I get that. But, mm. I mean, in, in the age of CGI and blue screen and all the rest of it, yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I don't think it's that hard.
1: Yeah. Anyway, we'll move on. <laughs> this is interesting. Uh, everything old is new again. The other day, the BBC tweeted that Jodie's final episode would be in the autumn and people went mad for this, like it was breaking news. Oh, that's when her final episode would be. Oh, my God, thank you, BBC, for telling us. And I blinked, and I blinked again, and I looked at it. <laughs> and I quickly Googled up the story I was thinking of, and it comes from the 29th of July. It's the story about Chibnall and Jodie leaving the show that the BBC put out. And that report said very clearly and succinctly that they would be leaving in the BBC centenary special in the autumn. So this recent tweet said absolutely nothing new. The news had been out there since July. And I thought I can only conclude that people just didn't have their eyes on the show back in July, even though that news story was big news. I would have thought a lot of people would have read it. Apparently not. Uh, Otherwise, they would have known this. And uh, yeah, so news that's been out there for months is now new again. (laughs) and everyone's excited that we have a date of course i i tell people on twitter i said well we we don't have an actual date it's just autumn if the centenary is based on the formation of the bbc probably october if it's based on when the bbc started broadcasting though that will be november if i was a gambling man i'd say it's going to be november dave uh
0: yes and you know the anniversary is probably going to be a season of stuff the bbc is going to be gazing at its own navel for many, many weeks, I suspect. <laughs> <laughs> so there's plenty of time in there for it to happen. And it probably has not been locked down quite enough as well.
1: Yeah, that's true. Very true.
0: Uh, but yes, look, the the Jodie Whittaker era has got a long time to run chronologically, but but it is, it is wrapping up, or has wrapped up production time, yeah.
1: Yeah, she is done. They posted a lovely picture of her hugging Mandip on set the other day. I thought that's quite nice.
0: Yes, which of course means that we have got many days weeks months year of speculation about who the next doctor is going to be i don't think we'll find out until at least flux is done
1: no flux has got to end first for sure
0: That's assuming there is a doctor i mean when we last saw the doctor they were an angel now so (laughs) maybe 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 it's going to be like blake seven you know doctor who without the title character interesting (laughs) that's 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 my not remotely (laughs) don't start
1: that rumor we'll start (laughs) seeing it on twitter next oh my god
0: (laughs) uh short topics rob we've got one each and the first one is probably i think a shared one but you're taking the lead
1: yes uh, of course we're, we're behind the rest of the world here when it comes to getting locally released doctor who and by the time a monthly episode of the show rolls around we're even further behind but i wanted to note and i i think you did too dave that we've both received evil of the daleks uh we've watched it what did you think dave
0: I have received it. I have watched it. I watched it over about 10 or 11 days, one episode a night every night or two.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: I absolutely loved it. I, I walked in loving it. I, and I walked in knowing it was one of my top one or two Troughton stories. And yeah. this has cemented that. It is amazing in scope. It's amazing in what it covers. The animation is, does a really good job. I'll come back to the animation in a bit more detail in a moment. But, but I really enjoyed the story. This story feels like the culmination of six classic Dalek stories, mm. building up the Daleks and what they're all about. And it sort of brings it to a really effective climax. Trout is amazing. I think Fraser Hines in his episode three, Confrontation with the Doctor, probably gets his best scene in mm-hmm. his nearly three years in the TARDIS. I think that's really, really good. And then that final cliffhanger leading into the final episode, I just think that, again... Feels like everything we've been seeing for four years of Doctor Who, six Dalek stories has built up to that moment where we meet the Emperor and then the final civil war. It's it's amazing. As I say, a couple of comments on the animation, Rob, but your thoughts?
1: Yeah, look, I I really liked it. I've always liked the story too. For me, this was one of those no-brainer situations where you know the story going into it. You've heard it. You've seen pictures of it. And it's like, well, of course it's going to be good. You know, how could it not be good? I guess if it had animation like Galaxy 4, it might not be good. But no, no, even then, if it had Galaxy 4 (laughs) animation, it would still be good because the story is good. I watched it in black and white. I'm sure you did too.
0: I did. And, And sorry, could someone who releases the DVDs in Australia please include a note? on the discs or include the cover sleeve that tells you which bloody disc has the black and white ones or at least be consistent about whether it's disc mm. one or two mm. I, I, they uh, they change them deliberately every time just to annoy me
1: in the uk they do that uh, so it's on the sleeve it tells you which one is black and white which one is color and for here for some reason they change the artwork slightly it's very strange it's very strange as well as watching it black and white, I watched it also with the real episode two in the mix, just so I could refresh myself on the visuals. I hadn't seen that for years and years. And look, overall, I really enjoyed it. There's a good little documentary on it, too, where they're back in the uh, mansion where they recorded. I, I just thought, oh, this is great. Lovely, lovely thing to own.
0: Yeah, I also watched the actual episode, two. I, I frankly I frankly don't know why they animate episodes that exist and, and why you'd want to watch an inferior Production. I, I don't get that. Somebody explain it to me, please. Write in, tweet us, and tell me, tell me why you think that are your daughter if you if you like that. But I don't. I don't get that. I, I do think the animation was really, really good. And as somebody who first came to this story with the audio cassette release in about 1992, wow, um, it was one of the first two stories along with the Macra Terror that was a, released as a proper BBC cassette with some very basic narration and and not a very good clean up job at all compared mm. to. What we've got now, the one problem with the story is there's a lot of minor characters who come in, come out. You know, there's a couple of people in the 60s, and then there's a couple of random people in in, in the house, um, like Mr. Tyrrell and Molly and the like. And then you get sort of more as they go on. Obviously, Kemmel as a someone who doesn't doesn't speak, doesn't work very well on audio. No, no. Um, so so it was a slightly harder story to follow with really bad audio quality. So so seeing the visuals with the animation, I think just help to keep things in line and go, okay, that's what that character looks like and that's who they are. And it it does make it a lot easier because it is a visual medium. It's just amazing they made this on a 60s budget. It's just so incredible what they were doing.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's fabulous. Really good stuff.
0: A short topic from me, which starts off non-Doctor Who related, but I will be tying it back to the current series of Doctor Who. And that's Mm a discussion I was having with our good friends over at the Trek This Out podcast. Mm -hmm. Because as you may be aware, Discovery has now launched... Uh, only in America. <laughs> it hasn't launched in the rest of the world and that's controversial, but I think we'll go down that rabbit hole. and that, um, that
1: is gonna change though. News in today, that is gonna change.
0: Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't mm. know that. But I look look, the one point I'll note is that the ABC here learnt a long time ago, if you wanted people to watch Doctor Who legally, you need to stream it at the same time as the UK. Otherwise mm. they will find other means. That is just a reality of life in the twenty twenties and I don't think Paramount's quite learnt that yet. But no. anyway, I don't want to go down that, that track. But Discovery is a series that I watched all of season one. I got through a bit of season two, and then I kind of fell away. Mm-hmm. And I was making the point that back in our, our youth, Rob, mm-hmm. back yes. back in the last century, there yes. was a rule on television that always leave your characters at the end of an episode where they were at the start. Mm-hmm. Because it, you want to make it very, very easy for audiences to miss an episode, miss a couple of episodes, miss a year. And then they can just come back in and go, oh, okay, I know who these characters are. Yep, sure, maybe somebody's now gone from engaged to married, or maybe somebody's moved on from the show or maybe somebody's pregnant. But, you know, broadly speaking, it's very easy to dip into television shows. Nowadays, the trend, particularly with drama, is that everything is arc-based and everything has payoffs and everything is designed to binge watch, which is fine, except that you know, life is busy, and mm-hmm. there are series where you go, oh, I'm really enjoying this one, oh, but I'm a bit busy this week and I've missed this week's episode. Oh, well, now I can't watch this week's episode until I've watched last week's episode, and I haven't got time to watch two, so I'll, I'll put it off. And suddenly you've missed three episodes, suddenly you're three hours behind. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I can't watch this week's episode because I'm three behind. I won't know what's going on. Mm. And suddenly, okay, well, I'll catch up on this show later, and three years later you'll have missed three seasons. Yeah. And, and that was my question with Discovery. I was saying to the, the, the guys on the podcast, so do you think I can use episode one of season four as a jump on point or will I just be going, I've missed a season and a half. Mm. I, I'm going to be clueless. They, they, they said, look, give it a try, but there are lots of crib notes out there. And I was reminded of something that JMS said when he was writing Babylon 5, uh, particularly when he got into the series three, series four. Fans would go, Why have you slowed the pace down? You had a a really great season cliffhanger last season, but the first three episodes of this season are really slow and, you know, you're going back into everything. And Mm. JMS said, well, you need to make it accessible for a new audience. You want new people to try and watch a series with the start of a season. So you need to make it accessible. You need to let them discover who these characters are and remind people what's going on and, and make it accessible, which I don't think every series is very good at doing. And... To bring this back to Doctor Who, and I guess to get your thoughts here, Rob, whilst I'm enjoying very much what Flux is doing, I do wonder if it is a risk for Doctor Who, which has always been a show that you could come in and out of, because it's very, very serial format. Okay, there are trends, there are arcs, but each adventure is an adventure, more or less. Yeah. Is there a risk for the show leaving that path that casual viewers, who do want to be able to dip in and out whenever they're free, are going to start to be put off?
1: Yeah, I think there is. Absolutely there is. Um, how how could there not be? You know, I, I, I look at it, though, you know, that first series where Chibnall came in and he didn't have any returning villains or anything like that. But then in the second series, he went, you know, hell for leather and getting all the returning villains and all of that sort of stuff. And here he's doubled down on the Timeless Child thing, on everything he's done to date in just six parts. And I think he's created something that would be very on one hand, sort of impenetrable to get into if you came in an episode or two late, and at the same time doubling down on topics that people didn't particularly want answered or, you know, covered in the first place, i.e. the Timeless Child. So he's, he's making something at present that I think would be very, very strange for people to be stepping onto. I mean, there are fans out there, I see them all the time on Twitter saying, I don't really understand what's going on. You know, and they're sort of making jokes about it. And meanwhile, there are other fans who are a bit snooty saying, well, it's not that hard to understand, you know. But there are fans who don't get this. And if fans don't get it, what hope does a regular person have? And I think the overnights on a recent episode were about three and a half million. So maybe there's the answer there.
0: Yeah, it's going to be interesting at the end of Flux to go back and just see how that all played out. Because, yeah, I think it is a harder show to watch. It is, though, you know, Doctor Who is not Robinson Crusoe in this. Most shows are doing this now. Even real schlock drama series, you know, are are going down this very big, heavy arc path that rewards the binge watch. Um, Sitcoms are still pretty good. You know, a show like The Connors, which I've been watching, you can easily miss a month or miss a season and come back and go, yep, you know, Dan's still Dan. You know, <laughs> Darlene's still Darlene. Yeah, that's fine. So, yeah, look, just an interesting thought. And again, listeners, if you've got some thoughts on that, yeah, let us know.
1: And if it sounds like we might be down on the current series or, or I might be down on the current series, do listen to our hot takes because uh, we've been giving it quite high scores. We both gave it a nine last week, for example, Dave. So oh, we've been oh, enjoying absolutely. it. absolutely.
0: As somebody who... Is invested in Doctor Who enough that we're doing a weekly podcast at the moment? I I I love the payoff and I like seeing the pieces fall together. But I know that if I was somebody, look, look, like I am with something like Star Trek Discovery, where you know if I don't watch Star Trek Trek Discovery, my life goes on fairly unaffected, frankly. Mm -hmm. But it is harder to get into, and there there are shows that I've enjoyed and have stopped watching not because I wasn't enjoying them, but because the homework needed to start again just became too much and it just ran away from me. Mm. And mm. I, 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 I worry if Doctor Who does that too much.
1: Yeah, fair enough. Moving on, it probably shows how little of a self-promoter I am that I've never referenced here on the show, that a little while back, I did an interview with Paul Hayes, who's the author of a book called The Long Game, 1996 to 2003 the inside story of how the BBC brought back Doctor Who. That's on our feed right now if you want to go back a month or so uh, and find it if you've not heard it. We put that out probably about a month before the book launched and now it's launched and a copy's made its way down here and I've actually been reading it, uh, Dave, so not just talking to the author about it, but actually, honest to God, reading it and I think it's really good.
0: That's good. That's good. I I haven't yet got myself a copy. It's something I'll probably do... Over summer when I've got a little bit more time and mm-hmm. the the two read pile isn't sort of several feet high in the <laughs> in the bedroom <laughs> bedside table, um, but I, I would like to get it. But is it is it giving you? All right, let me let me let me put it bluntly. Mm-hmm. Is this a book that is comfortable for people to read and everybody's memories are what they want people to think their memories are, or do you feel as though yeah I'm getting I'm getting the real insight into what was going on and how this all worked?
1: A bit of both, because in some areas he's relying on um, archival stuff. Like, for example, he didn't talk to RTD for the book. So he's relying on things RTD has said in magazine articles, interviews and stuff like that. So you can imagine that five, ten years ago, RTD would have been pretty straight down the line and not really going too out there with what he was saying. But meanwhile, some of the TV executives he's been speaking to are quite candid. About the, the period And so it sort of comes together As this really nice mix of the two things And I, I feel I'm getting something out of it The, the first few chapters... I won't say are a, a, a struggle, that's completely the wrong word, but the first few chapters are the driest part. It's sort of unravelling the spaghetti of how strange the landscape was at the BBC and, and in UK television in general. It's like this person went and did this job and then this person replaced them and then this happened and that happened and then these two two people who knew each other moved to the same TV yeah, right. network and, and then when they got together, they realised they both liked Doctor Who, etc, etc, etc. So the first few chapters are painting this picture but then by about page 60, and it's a 350-page book, by about page 60, RTD enters the narrative and his presence starts to be felt. And, you know, it even goes off on tangents like talking about web websites and digital and all manner of things that were doing Doctor Who content, not just how it came back to television, but talking about the possible movie that was going to be made and, and how the, the BBC arm trying to make the movie was kind of, you know, blocking the, the TV arm that was trying to do it and this, that and the other. So there's a lot of names to remember and there's a lot of sort of it's like watching a game of chess almost but paul does a really really good job of describing it all and i'm I'm really enjoying it I haven't finished it yet I, I know how it ends though
0: <laughs> um and while we're plugging things i just want to mention uh, for those of you who have heard us mention uh aaron from aaron's collectibles on this show or particularly those of you who listen to our friends over at 42 to doomsday who have done a couple of really interesting interviews with aaron who is a collector and seller of all stuff sort of science mm. fiction and, 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 and um pop culture, cult merchandise, but particularly Doctor Who stuff and has a really good inside the beltway, inside the the, the, the um the industry views and experiences on how merchandising is going in Doctor Who, and how some is doing very, very well, and
1: others, other stuff is not doing so well. He makes people very unhappy when he talks about that because they don't, they don't want to believe how it's going. No, Yet he is a dude at the coalface who knows how it's going. He he
0: comes with numbers and facts and upsets people, which is always worrying. Um, but look, <laughs> yeah. he's he has opened his new shop, which is in Blackburn, in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne, not far from where I am, and for the first. First time today, I was able to get by and actually meet Aaron properly in person for the first time, which was really good. And I did pre-order a couple of the new character options sets that are coming out. I will say I'm ordering the Hart- Hartnell and Tardis pack because you know how I feel about Hartnell. So I am getting that one, which is unusual for me. But but I I did order that and a couple of others. And he he did he did give me the uh, the you were referred by a podcast discount so if you are one of our listeners in melbourne particularly the east of melbourne and you are interested to get along to aaron's collectibles in blackburn and say that you listen to the doctor who show on 42 to doomsday and uh you may get a very good discount
1: he gives away a, a doctor who magazine doesn't he if you mention 42 to doomsday he
0: he does and if you mention their um their slogan, which is uh, for them, not us, to say. Uh, apparently, you get two issues. Um, is that right? <laughs> that is that is right. But uh, you you need to listen to Forty Two to Doomsday and get their uh, their tagline, and uh, that that gets your second DWM. So um. A plug for our friends at 42 to Doomsday, a plug for our friends at Check This Out, and a plug for Aaron and Aaron's Collectibles. There you go. We are we are now a fully commercialized um, <laughs> podcast.
1: Patreon awaits.
0: Patreon awaits. No, never. Not, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, on that note, let's get into our main topic. Look, as the series was coming down the path very fast at us, and we were planning how these last months of the year would go. We said, look, we're going to be in the middle of six very intense weeks of big mm. hot takes to do, the, the regular week, weekly of getting these out within a few hours of it going was going to happen. We said, what are we going to do in the middle of this? We said, let's make it something fun. And inspired by a couple of comments from a couple of listeners who have talked about different crossover stuff, I said... Let's just do a crossover show. Let's 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 put together our dream crossovers. And Rob, I don't think you took much convincing that that would be the the right vibe and idea for for this particular episode.
1: Yeah, I, I want to do a shout out to our listener uh, Alicia Neptune on Twitter. Yes, who uh, in her guise as Latin Alice on YouTube, she challenged her viewers. Uh, of her YouTube channel to think about putting characters into other properties and in that video where she did the challenge she said that she was riffing on our podcast because she was inspired about when we had done uh, New Who Doctors and Classic Stories and Classic Doctors and New Who Stories so she riffed on us and now we're riffing on her so it's, it's really quite meta <laughs>
0: Oh look, it, it is. It is. So look, the, we we didn't set down any particular rules. We sort of agreed informally would come to the table with half a dozen each, uh, and I think I think we've pretty much held to that. But we just said, really simple: pick a TARDIS screw and put them in a TV show. And uh, I don't think we need more explanation than that. So should
1: although we... although I do want to say, you know, because we didn't have any rules, it became an interesting exercise for me. Uh, Because I want to say Doctor Who crossovers, you know... Well, they're not really much of a thing in general. And when we've had them, like that one where I think Matt Smith crossed over with Star Trek... I found it to be quite a weird thing. So, it was an interesting thing to push myself. And in the end, I came up with some examples here... Where I think you could do a crossover and it would work, for better or worse. Or in in other cases, the crossover is more of an example of an era or a story or a movie or whatever, where I think you could insert the Doctor and Co., maybe not dealing with the characters from that property, but just in the same setting. So it became a bit of a mixed bag for me. But I have come up with six, and I'm going to be bringing three TARDIS crews from the classic era and three from the modern era.
0: Well, that's interesting. I have got a mix of classic and modern as well. Um, But look, Rob, you've taken this extremely seriously. I've just had fun. So... (laughs)
1: You <laughs> so, haven't heard my, you haven't heard my examples. Yet. I'm not saying that you
0: yours know. won't be fun, but uh, look, we have approached them in our own unique ways. Look, look, enough preamble. We're, we're here to talk about the content. Let's let's get on to it. Robert, what is your first?
1: My first is Jody Whitaker, Yaz, and Graham in Wurzel Gummich. <laughs>
0: Now Okay, keep keep going.
1: <laughs> specifically, specifically the new version of oh. the series with Mackenzie Crook in it as Wurzel Gummage. I think there's a huge crossover here with the kind of viewer who appreciates the Whitaker era and the gentle, kind, almost Twee sort of vibe that Wurzel Gummage has. You know, put put another way, find me someone who likes the Whitaker era, and I think they'd eat Gummage up, you know, completely, or vice versa. And I can also imagine Jody talking to Wurzel and really engaging with him in a believable way that I perhaps can't see with other doctors. You know, you put Capaldi in there and it's like, oh, you're a talking scarecrow. You're ridiculous, you know. <laughs> Whereas Jody would probably do the whole children's TV presenter thing and, and be fascinated by him. And, oh, hi, Wurzel, you know. And I can see this actually working. This is an example of where I think you could actually do a crossover.
0: Uh, yeah, that's a very realistic one. But yeah, I, I think that they would vibe really, really well. You, you mm-hmm. weren't tempted to go down the John Pertwee-Wurzel route?
1: Oh, I think it was a bit too on the nose, you know, <laughs> having a, the two Doctors in it and all that sort of stuff. So no.
0: no. Very cool. That's a good one to start off with. I've got a uh, slightly dry one to start off with, I must admit. But one that I think really would actually genuinely have worked very well. And I'm putting The Seventh Doctor and Ace mm-hmm. into a mid-90s series called Ultraviolet. Are you familiar oh, with this series, Rob?
1: That had
0: ah oh, was it was it vampires? It was vampire. It was vampires, although they never used the word. It was That's about right. a, a a secret team, composing of Jack Davenport, Susanna Harker, Philip Cost and a very young Idris Elba.
1: That's right. Yes.
0: And it was this very dark, secretive team that combated vampires in, in the UK, and it was it was very sort of that nineties feel. You know the vampires were doing experiments on how they could harvest more blood without hurting humans, and what the they could do to uh, like how climate change was going to affect their their feeding, mm. and um and and all that sort of stuff. Or you know, there, there's one really good one where they think that they're dealing with somebody's son, but it turns out that it's actually somebody's father because vampires don't age. And anyway, it's got all the vampire stuff. It was when vampires were big. It's this really dark UK sci-fi series. Done very, very dryly and very, very seriously. And mm. I could absolutely see the Doctor working with Philip Quast character in that, who is a very Doctor-like character. Um, he's actually a priest on Common from the Vatican because the Vatican sees the vampires as unholy. So, was working with the government to to um to, to lead this team. Um, which is itself an interesting sort of comment. But I can see McCoy's Doctor working with that. I can see Ace going out with Idris Elba's character, who uh, is an ex-army man, and, and actually fighting these Code V villains um, and all the rest of that. And so, yeah, I just thought that that tone would work really, really well with the later McCoy's. And look, if you haven't seen Ultraviolet, it's only one season of six episodes. It's self-contained. If you can get a copy, I Thoroughly recommended. It It is a really good piece of television.
1: Oh, good tip. All right. I've I've got a McCoy coming up too in a moment. Excellent. Well, what what have you got this this time? But this time around, I've got the Hartnell Doctor, Mm -hmm. Stephen and Vicky in the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. Now this came up because I was thinking of the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles and how it's, you know, it's super historical in nature. And it's the kind of series that was basically designed to teach children about history. And I thought, who's the historical doctor? Well, it's Hartnell. Now, I'll say up front that it's one of those series where I see it as less Hartnell hanging out with Young Indy and more Hartnell and co-engaging with the storylines and the content that the series had. Because um, Young Indy is set in the early 1900s through to the 1920s. And I find that interesting because it's an era Hartnell didn't really do. Probably because it was too recent, you know, for the 1960s at the time, you know. So you'd have him in the ancient world or you'd have him 150 years ago in France or whatever. But you wouldn't have him in the Egyptian pyramids pre-World War One or in World War One, you know. And I think that's some interesting stuff. We kind of sort of got World War One in the war games, I guess, with Pat. But it's not really World War One. I. I guess at this time, actual veterans were still around. They would have been in their 60s at the time so maybe the desire to revisit world war one wasn't as huge back then it wasn't as much an historical era but looking at it now if i could put hartnell into that era that the young indiana jones chronicles is in i think that'd be you know some fabulous stories
0: i haven't seen a lot of those but from what i've seen that makes a huge amount of sense nothing would be a very fun watch i'd watch that
1: mm, it'd be great because every episode, hugely historical. It was kind of unrealistic in the way young Indy would meet a famous person from history every episode. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, you know, if you can put that aside, it was a great series.
0: Yeah, and and as you said, it is that sort of semi-educational sort of thing where that stuff happens. Yeah. Yeah, no, I like that. Uh, My second one. Yes. I am putting the third Doctor, Joe and the Brigadier, into To the Manor Born. (laughs) Right, yes. So when you think Perwick era, you think... The best ones off somewhere in an isolated English village, we've got that setting, and then you go right. The Third Doctor hanging out with Audrey Forbes Hamilton. That's got to happen. Uh, the Brigadier hanging out with the Brigadier. That's got to happen. Um, <laughs> Joe Joe hanging out with the Vicar. That's got to happen. And you just yeah. think if you if you put a a Doctor Who plot. Alien Invasion, Secret Conspiracy, something like that into that. You've got a really good cast of characters. You know, Richard DeVere's there. You've got Mrs. Puvlitska, You know, just like Living Home in 39. Um, you know, you can have a really good, fun engagement with with that, with that series, and it's just the perfect Pertwee setting. And look, basically, I just want to see John Pertwee and um Penelope Keith working off each other as the third doctor and Audrey. I just think that would be such wonderful fun in an English village.
1: Knocking back wine and cheese like there's no tomorrow.
0: Absolutely. He would have been <laughs> loving it. And then just throwing a pteroleptal or something.
1: Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> I like that, Dave. I like it.
0: Yeah, I think that would be very fun.
1: Moving on to my next one, and this is where I bring in McCoy and Ace. I would like to place them in Stranger Things. Oh, okay. I think this is a total no-brainer I mean, McCoy and Ace in the 80s with dark stuff going on a big organisation to take down again, I'm not necessarily saying hey, let's have Sylvester hanging out with Mike and Dustin and Lucas and the kids this is more the vibe of Stranger Things and that kind of story You know, I, I just think the Seventh Doctor and Ace could walk into this and not look out of place whereas I don't see a lot of other Doctors actually working in that era
0: can I give you the one that I would like to see? Yeah, I want to see Colin in Stranger Things, <laughs> because the idea of Colin as the Pied Piper leading around this group of crazy kids, yes. I just, I don't, I think that actually would would work even better than McCoy. Although I think McCoy spent a lot of time just going, "Why are these kids annoying me so much?"
1: <laughs> well, Colin's got the outfit for the eighties, uh, you know, the bright, bright colors. Yeah, he, he'd Look, he'd look in place uh, in the mall in any mall scenes. <laughs>
0: Uh, Yes, and and, and what is Ace doing in your crossover?
1: I think she's just she's just assisting she could hit things with a baseball bat you know, (laughs) I think she'd feel quite at home the 80s is is her era you know teaching
0: the kids how to make Nitro 9
1: Yeah, yeah, stuff (laughs) like that that'd be pretty cool
0: (laughs) No, that is cool I like that that's lots of fun Um, Mm -hmm. and a good a good to have a current show in the mix as well I've got one or two of those Okay My next one is similar in some ways to one of your earlier picks Rob I am also doing a Hartnell pick, because I had to have a Hartnell in there, so mm. I'm going the first Doctor, Ian, Barbara, and Vicky, yeah. and I'm putting them into Elizabeth R.
1: Oh. oh, wow, okay.
0: Now, you know that I like my big Hartnell historicals, yes. and so imagine that classic Season 2 TARDIS crew arrives, and there's Glinda Jackson's Queen Elizabeth. mm-hmm and Hartnell, yeah, Hartnell and Linda Jackson's Queen Elizabeth just working together. You've got Robert Dudley played by Robert Hardy. You've got a, a huge cast of, you know, Doctor Who-style actors in there. But I guess I'm kind of trying to recreate something like the Crusades, where you've got a really good character a- actor there playing Richard the First, and now I've got Elizabeth the First. And I think that the Day of the Doctor, whilst I had a lot of fun in the Elizabethan era, I thought... Didn't really do that character or that era justice at all, which is fine. Mm. It wasn't trying to. I get that. I'm not not, not sticking the boot in. It just yeah. it just didn't. Whereas you could imagine Hartnell hanging out with that that really powerful portrayal of Elizabeth the First, getting involved in court intrigue, getting involved in drama, you know, getting involved in the Babington plot or something like that. I think would be really effective. And look, I just want to see William Hartnell and Glenda Jackson play off each other. Frankly,
1: <laughs> nice, nice. I, I like that one a lot, actually. Yeah, I can see that working.
0: Your fourth Rob.
1: Yes. Now, this one's interesting, Dave, because I've picked a show I've never actually watched. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I want to put the Peter Davison Doctor and Perry
0: yes.
1: into Downton Abbey. <laughs> okay. Okay. Now, you know, because I haven't actually watched Downton Abbey, this certainly isn't a vote for something in the show's storyline or the characters or actors who portray those characters. Again, for me, it's the setting. And I have often lamented how Davo is set up to be this guy who feels like he's from the 1920s, even pre-World War I at a pinch. And yet he's never sent there, except in, you know, the little two-parter of Black Orchid, you know, it's, it's just this huge opportunity, I think. And Downton Abbey is out there in the public consciences as being this 1910s, 20s sort of area. So I've picked up on that. And to me, it's just a no-brainer to put Davo in that kind of environment. And Perry, being American, brings that sort of outsider vibe, a bit of curiosity to people of the UK in that era. I think, I think you could wheedle something interesting out of Davo and Perry and Downton Abbey.
0: Look, I can't really comment much more on the show than you can because I haven't seen it either. And indeed, as I think I mentioned before, I, I, went, I went several years convinced it was set in um, downtown New York because I thought it was called Downtown Abbey. Um, so that's how little I knew about the show for a while. Uh, but, but look, the thing that I like about that is that I agree that Davo in, in that environment would work really well, but giving Perry something like that to do where she can explore history... I think would be a really good use of the character that we really didn't get to see. Some glimpses of it in Mark of the Rani, uh, but I'd like to see a lot more of that. And yeah, that works for me.
1: Yeah, she's not in a tight pair of shorts. She's she's not being lusted after by, by some maniac. Well, she, she, in she might
0: she might be. I don't know how lustful the cast of Downtown Abbey are, but I'm sure there's some True. lectures in there somewhere.
1: <laughs> but you know what I mean. I you do. Know, it I could do. be a good chance to do something different. Yeah. She,
0: she can be lusted over with class.
1: Exactly. <laughs>
0: My fourth, I'm putting the 11th Doctor, Amy and Rory, yeah. into press game. Oh,
1: wow. Okay. And and Moffat is writing it. I and guess. Moffat
0: is writing it. So, look, you get all of that dialogue. You get all of those characters working together. And I can see that the scene I have in my head is the 11th Doctor bursting into the press room and saying, everybody needs to leave now because there's something dangerous coming around the corner. And... um. Linda Day turning around and going, "No, it's my press room. Get out!" Yes, <laughs> um, and and it goes from there, and that's that's what I want. And again, Rory and uh, Amy would have fun interacting with that cast. Uh, but again, just the ideas of that press gang crew having to deal with something alien. I, I think I'm going to go down the alien invasion path, or just like a, a renegade alien monster or something. And just them dealing with that that in all their different sort of ways. Uh, Colin probably trying to sell it something. Um, you know, others so trying to write
1: in class, Dave.
0: Well, and and it, it did occur to me as I was doing this because I did umanah and then I said maybe I should make a Grange Hill, but no, I don't think that would quite work. I think I think you need that strong character to, to sort of do it. And then I thought, am I going down the path of class? Maybe a little bit. And look, you and I enjoy class. So I I could see maybe mm. I'm I'm hankering for it to have been done that way. Maybe a little bit, but a, 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 again, Linda Day fights aliens. <laughs> uh, I want to see.
1: Well, she'd fight anybody, basically.
0: Well, that's the point. That's exactly right. How does she, how does she deal when she's confronted with a homicidal maniac alien?
1: Mm, mm. Moving on to my uh, penultimate choice. Yes, I'm putting the Capaldi doctor and Bill into the Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. Now, for those who aren't sure which series of Sherlock Holmes I might mean, I'm talking 1980s. I'm talking Jeremy Brett era Sherlock Holmes. And I guess in some ways this would turn out to be similar to Robot of Sherwood. You'd have the Twelfth Doctor meeting up with this fictional character. Sort of surprised at his existence, perhaps. And of course Holmes would be a complete ass to Capaldi. Yet infuriating, because he's so hyper-intelligent, the stuff he's saying to Capaldi is probably right. So, you know, Capaldi's annoyed that he's not the smartest man in the room and that Holmes is being rude to him, even though that's how Capaldi can be to people himself. Basically familiarity breeding contempt and all of that. So, yeah, I think this would be something I'd like to see. I think Capaldi working through a straightforward mystery, too. Holmes' style would be a lot of fun. Um, You know, not trying to save Missy or banging on about the hybrid or, or some, you know, bollocks like that. Just a good, solid adventure, not facing off against Holmes, but sort of competing with him in some way.
0: That's a really interesting pick, and one I certainly didn't expect. I haven't seen the uh, Jeremy Brett, Sherlock Holmes, but I know that people who are fans of the uh, of the character and of Sherlock Holmes speak very, very highly of that series. I know it's mm-hmm. very well regarded. As someone who's not a fan of Sherlock Holmes, I actually would take it in a different direction, which is mm-hmm. the Doctor calling out a lot of Sherlock Holmes well, bulldust, basically. So when, <laughs> so when Holmes turns around and you know, does his whole, I saw a speck of mud on that guy's pants from which I deduced... That he is in fact a divorcee with leprosy, um, Capaldi would go. Well, that's ridiculous. There's 47 explanations of why that could be. How could you? Do- you can't jump to that conclusion. You're making it up. Uh, I would. I would love to see Sherlock Holmes called out by Capaldi. I. I think that's. That's how I would do it. But, <laughs> but I get where you're coming from.
1: Nice. Very nice. Um,
0: and I must have. I came very close to putting Capaldi in. In. Uh, in Babylon Five. That was my. My almost made the list one. Um, but I didn't. Didn't quite get there. Okay. Uh, What did get there, though, my penultimate one, I am putting the fourth Doctor and Leela into the Mandalorian.
1: Oh, yeah, okay. So how how
0: this episode goes, the Doctor and the Mandalorian... Uh, on a more investigative sort of thing, maybe they're in on board an ex-imperial starship or something, and they're they're finding out what's going on. The doctor's using his sonic screwdriver. He's finding out data. The Mandalorians protecting him. They have a different attitude, but they end up kind of working together and and finding the next big piece of the story or the next MacGuffin that moves things along and in the meantime Leela goes on with the rest of the crew and has to do some sort of mission you know rescue someone from somewhere or capture something from somewhere so she gets to do all that hunting and and everybody's really amazed by her skills with weapons and and Leela gets to play with blasters and all that sort of thing So, so both of the TARDIS crew members they're doing their own sort of thing in the Mandalorian universe and the Doctor lecturing people about casually killing each other
1: well, I see the crossover there, the potential for Leela to be fascinated by Mandalorian culture.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yes.
1: And sort of be interested in their armor and uh, weapons made out of Beskar and things like that. Maybe she could take away a Beskar um, throwing knife or something, you know, something like that.
0: Yeah, and I could see Leela at the end of, end of the episode. Like, like maybe at the start of the episode, she says, fighting for money is not fighting with honor. And at the end of it, she says, I was wrong. You do fight with honour. That's the Mm. sort of arc I see it all going down.
1: Oh, very nice. I like that one a lot.
0: Yeah, I I actually do want to see that one. (laughs) Your final one, final.
1: Yes, okay. I'm taking the Christopher Eccleston Doctor and Rose and I'm plonking them down in Westworld.
0: (gasps) We came so close to a snap there. (laughs) Did we really? We'll 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 find out. We'll find out. We haven't, so keep going.
1: Now, this, this is one where I think a crossover could actually work and he could interact with the characters and all of that. Because I think you could have the Ninth Doctor literally get inside Delos Incorporated and investigate what's going on in the park, how they've made these lifelike hosts and all of that. I think he'd be against it. I think he'd take the position that these hosts can think and feel, yet people are there to, to, to shoot them, have sex with them, you know, all of that stuff. And I think he'd be pretty disgusted by it. So I think you'd have this story where he's trying to stop it, but he's got the Delos security onto him. Maybe even hosts are chasing him through the different worlds, you know, Shogun world, Westworld, all of that, and trying to kill him. Basically, the things he's there to protect uh, are trying to take him down. You know, I I think that could be an amazing story. I think that could actually work. And I think Eccleston was my, my choice doctor for that environment.
0: Yeah, I think that works really well. I, I don't really have anything to add on that one. Okay. Uh, my final one, and uh, we half snapped on this, so that's that's interesting. We both picked it as our final one as well. For my final pick, yeah. I am going to have the last Time Lord meet the last human because I'm going to put the Equiston Doctor and Rose into Red Dwarf. <laughs>
1: <laughs> lovely is it a comedy
0: it, it, it would be a comedy but with the, the, the darker moments I'm I'm particularly putting them into seasons 1 and 2 Red Dwarf that, uh, that original okay. sort of character that slightly drier um, very very funny but very little bit more dry and a little bit more weighty sort of stuff
1: the reason I ask is because, as, as you would know, when Rob Grant and Doug Naylor sort of split up and wrote their own novels, one of them still wrote funny novels and then one of them wrote really, <laughs> really dark and depressing novels. So, so I true. had to ask.
0: It's so true. No, they're both co-writing at this stage. It's it's, it's the first couple of seasons. And, and again, I can see different scenarios playing out. I think one of the emotional scenes of the, that is going to be a moment where Lister is talking about his depression as he's the last human being left alive and the Doctor can say, well, I'm the last Time Lord alive and these are the only two characters next to the universe that can relate to how each other's feeling about this I think that would be a really nice emotional moment at the same time you're going to have the cat Lister and Rimmer meeting Rose and just like oh my god it's a woman you know and all the different reactions to that and how they might try and try and court her the doctor sort of being slightly baffled by Holly and, and what's gone wrong with Holly? Rose looking at the technology of Red Dwarf and going, give me some Spock. You know, this is this is not what I expected <laughs> from 24th century technology. And I and think there were some really good scenes in there throwing some sort of um, incident or issue to, to, to drive the plot along. But look, I just couldn't go past the last time Lord meets the last human.
1: And a Liverpudlian and a Mancunian accent uh, as well. Yeah,
0: I hadn't thought about that,
1: yes. <laughs> Great. Great. I love it.
0: So they were our crossovers. Let us know what you thought. Let us know what ideas you had. Um, none of them are ever going to happen. But, no. <laughs> but look, it's, it's, it's all a bit of fun. But we will get on now to our letters. And we've saved plenty of time for them because we've had many letters this month, uh, for the most part dealing with uh, the flux, dealing with the hot mm-hmm. takes and a couple of other things as well. So we will work through them up. Uh, just to let you know, we're doing the first half of Flux Letters this episode, and next month when we do our Flux Wrap-Up, as, as our December monthly episode, we'll do all the second half of the correspondence as well, including stuff on five and six. So if you have written into us about four and it's not in here, uh, it will be in the December one. We just needed to have a nice, neat break. Uh, Rob, do you want to kick us off with uh, Will's Letter, please?
1: yeah i i will do (laughs) no pun intended he says hi rob and dave hope you're both well it's been a while since i've written in i thought i'd pop over an email to let you know how much i've enjoyed your recent shows oh thanks will uh your episode on season 20 is one i very much enjoyed the fifth doctor era is one i've never been a fan of oh i'm gonna stop reading now (laughs) dave you take over i I
0: think there's a butt coming
1: Oh, oh, I see, okay. Uh, It's never been uh, one I've been a fan of. And season 20 is the season I've just never liked. Seasons 19 and 21 are both a mixed bag in my view, but they still have stories I adore. The only story I've ever enjoyed or gravitated towards in season 20 is Enlightenment, as I love its setting and its imagination. The rest of it I've always found very uninspired and dull. Therefore, I was interested to know what you had to say, and you didn't disappoint." And it was interesting hearing alternative viewpoints and, in some cases, contrasting and conflicting opinions which made for an interesting discussion. Thank you very much. Uh, At the time of writing, the first... Two episodes of Doctor Who Flux have broadcast, and I very much enjoyed your first hot take. I'm yet to listen to your thoughts on the second episode, but very much look forward to it as well. I found the first episode very cluttered and disorganized in terms of plotting and structure, but an improvement in terms of dialogue and character interactions. Dan has been great so far, and the 13th Doctor and Yaz seem better handled as characters. The Santaran episode however was really good and the most I've enjoyed a new episode of Doctor Who in quite a while. For me it's the best Santarans have been on TV since the Santaran experiment and I really like the historical setting. It makes me wonder why Chris Chibnall never went for this approach before. I have to still remain cautious, though, with all the plot lines surrounding the division linking to the timeless child. I really dislike the direction and concept of that storyline in series twelve, and unfortunately can't see myself taking to it no matter what direction they take it in. It seems like a strong improvement, though, which I hope continues. Keep up the good work, from Will Sanger.
0: Uh, thank you, Will. Thank you for the very positive comments. That's always appreciated. I certainly agree. This is the best Sontaran outing since Sontaran Experiment. I, I actually don't think that's contentious at all. Others will disagree, but I, I think that's pretty pretty straightforward. A thing that Will's mentioned in here that I've seen a lot across fandom is people going, I'm really liking what Chibnall's doing. I'm really loving this flux plot. Is he going to nail the landing? All the signs point to yes, but we've seen his last two season enders.
1: Well, that's just right. I said to someone on Twitter, within the last 24 hours we were just talking about Whittakeria in general and I one of my comments was I loved Ascension of the Cybermen which was the penultimate episode of the previous series and then got to the next one and it just pooped the bed you know it, within one episode it just turned on a dime as our American cousins would say it was extraordinary
0: yeah there has been a bit of that sentiment around so uh Will you're not alone in that we'll see if we were right to be worried within the next uh, week and a half
1: Mm, we've got one from David Clark now we
0: have, he says hello fam well I just watched ep 1 and 2 of the new Doctor Who and so far I am extremely happy, episode 1 was a good 8 out of 10 Jodie was brilliant, Yaz actually had loads to do and was a good sidekick to the doc, she seemed more confident and must have had some great adventures leading up to this first episode, I'm sure Big Finish will fill those gaps (laughs) love the introduction of Dan again a shame we probably will only have him for a short time Swarm is so creepy and evil, just brilliant. Episode 2, 9 out of 10 for me. The Sontarans were at last really well written and look awesome. No longer a joke. A brilliant episode to watch and Jodie was the Doctor. Just one thing, if China has gone, how come Dan's mum had a wok? Really looking forward to seeing the next <laughs> episode, question. guys. Thanks, Dave, the Rave.
1: That's a, that's a great question about the wok, actually. <laughs> you know? So, is it that China had gone, or that China had never existed? Well, I see what you're saying. If if it had existed and then disappeared, people would have woks, but what not know where they came from? Well,
0: you know, somebody brought a wok across to you know Marco Polo brought a wok home, and um, and so they've still got wok. I don't know. Um, good point. Look, of all the things that annoyed me about that scene, it wasn't where the wok came from, but now <laughs> now it is, Dave. Thank you for that. Uh, glad you're enjoying it, though.
1: Yeah, look, and I agree with Dave. Swarm is creepy and evil. You know, you think of some of the the duff, absolutely duff villains that Chibnall's had in the past couple of series, like I don't know Crasco, the the guy in the leather jacket in Rosa, like it's just the worst villain ever, or the guy with uh, teeth stuck in his head. Yeah, um, Tim Tim Shaw. You think of these, and then you you have you know this campy. Like he's just stepped off the stage in Rocky Horror or something, you know. You swarm and as you're, you know, it's like, oh, where did these come from? Why weren't these people in the first series? It could have been a whole different, you know, situation. Anyway.
0: Anyway, yep. Yeah. One from Martin.
1: Yes, Martin Oates says, hello from England. Hope you're both well and looking forward to spring slash summer. Certainly are. Summer's about to begin. Um, Enjoyed the hot take. Thanks as ever for the work you put in. As a fellow podcaster, I understand how much goes into each and every recording. And I'll stop here and say that Martin does a, um, a beer podcast. Oh, so yes, if anyone's into beer, uh, look, look him up uh, The comments floating around the ether About there being too much happening in the episode Strike me as odd Most drama serials kick off in this way these days, surely There are five more episodes to go I don't need all the answers now Something different is being attempted And that something different seems pretty positive to me Speaking of the positives The Doctor, Yaz and Dan all played their part I enjoyed the nods to the MCU and past Doctors Exposition: Was there really that much that could be avoided? Is it really that different to pre-Chris Chibnall or even pre-1989? I'd argue no, not really. It's always been there. And I think on this occasion, a good balance was struck between show and tell and tell. Looking forward to episode two and hot take two from Martin.
0: Yeah, look, that's a really good point, Martin. I think it's something that we raised in our hot take in episode two or three was that perhaps because we've become so used to the Chibnall exposition now if we get even a reasonable use or something that's just a little bit off we go see it's there again we, we jump on it a bit too instinctively and that's something that I have tried to tried to do but uh, look again yeah glad you're enjoying it and, and look as we said earlier in our chat in fact this is kind of what TV's doing now
1: mm. and I agree with that re-exposition I think we do jump on it but it's kind of a he's kind of brought it on himself because there are some very egregious moments of exposition in the Chibnall era. It's not an accident that people have picked up on this during this era and not, say, during Moffat or RTD's eras. Exposition is a thing, yes, but it has happened more and more in the Chibnall era and people have noticed it. You know, I think that's fair to say as well.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair to say, Um, and, and, and Martin's also right to say that it is better than has been, but but yeah, we are, mm. we are sort of um, trained to see it now, which is unfortunate for Chibnall.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Richard Revel writes...
0: He does. He writes, Hi, fellas. Just a quick couple of thoughts following your last hot take. Thought one, I'm really enjoying the new series. It's a huge ride, and while some bits of it don't entirely stand up to close scrutiny or even a passing glance, I'm willing to let them go because they're happening in the slightly sillier parts of the story, and I'm having too much fun to worry about them too much. Thought two, did Dave really compare the mighty intergalactic Sontaran Empire to the Wilmington-on-Sea home guard? The <laughs> podcast is as enjoyable as ever. Keep up the good work, Richard. Richard, yes, I did. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's fabulous. That's a fabulous example. Uh, yes,
0: absolutely. No, look, thank you for that. And, and look, I think that Richard's right. Where you get a story that you're enjoying and that, that is carrying you along for the ride, you are much more willing to look over the points that exist in any TV series that don't quite add up. And I think that that's very true here.
1: Yeah. The suspension of disbelief, basically. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Alrighty. John Shaw writes, hi, Rob. Oh, it's just to me, Dave. You can go make a cup of tea. <laughs> I am loving the hot takes with you and Dave and the new season so far. I noticed one of you commenting on Jonathan Watson as Skark. He is well known here in Scotland and is best known as Brian from City Lights and many, many caricatures of Scots football celebs, especially former Celtic player Frank McAvenny.
0: Yeah, look, I really enjoyed Watson's performance. I actually had no idea who he was. and No, look, I'm really glad that he's, he's got a bit of a following in Scotland because I thought it was really good in that episode
1: fabulous john has sent us some uh video links too i'll i'll pop you the video links and you can have a look at him on these shows oh
0: fantastic that'll be very interesting i saw somewhere on twitter today a f- photo of the main sensorites from the sensorites in rehearsal without their masks off and that just blew my mind seeing what these three actors look like i had no idea
1: oh wow okay
0: <laughs> um, like I, I vaguely knew that Peter Glaze had been in Crackerjack, and I must be when I saw his face. I like, oh yeah, I have seen that guy in clips from Crackerjack. But, um, the guy's playing the elders. I thought, okay, that's it's really nice to know what that voice I've been hearing for many years actually looked like. There you go.
1: It's funny when masks come off like that. I know some of the uh, the sand troopers on Tatooine in uh, Episode Four. One of them in particular's got this impressive uh, afro. Hairstyle. I don't know how it even fit it under the helmet. <laughs> but when you see them with the helmets off, classic 70s dudes to a to a T.
0: Dan Starkey's another one who looked nothing like I expected based on how he looked in a mask.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah, that's fair.
0: Yeah. So yeah, you know, interesting point. Martin Oates has written in again, and obviously, because we've had many hot takes, he gets to write in okay, a couple of them. So thank you again, Martin. Season 13, episode two. My word of the day would be fun. Most valued player? Definitely, Jody. Fail the walk. Well, the, walk's
1: <laughs> the walk's back.
0: The walk's back. and The walk's the fail of the week this time. Good call, man. All in all, the 60 minutes whizzed by. Like episode one, it too will be judged ultimately as part of the whole. But I thoroughly enjoyed it and I learned a few things too. And yes, there were some convenient plot devices. They all take a break at the same time. And yes, Dan's parents turning up was amusing, but probably unnecessary. Still plenty of questions to be answered. And yes, it does seem that this format suits Mr. Chibnall. And also quite happy to up the death count in this episode also. Genuinely excited to see where this goes. Fingers across, crossed. Cheers, Martin. I think I agree with everything in there.
1: Yeah, it's it's so interesting to see people's comments at the time, you know, Uh, because obviously they can hear ours at the time on the hot take. But when we have a letter like this, it's like a snapshot in time. You know, and, and now, sitting here today, Martin knows so much more than, than this. He, he knows what's happening with the Flux and so on. Uh, but, yeah, I, I love reading this sort of stuff.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting as well. You know, The Walk has got big fans and big detractors. Dan's parents, big fans, big detractors. and So, yeah, just interesting to hear these different views all playing out. Yeah. A couple more to go, both from Repeat Writers. Thank you for writing in again. Uh, another from Dave Robb.
1: Yes, repeat offenders. Uh, Dave Young here. Uh, Rob, it's just to me again. <laughs> uh, I was just washing up here, listening to Dave and you say, oh, you get mentioned in the letter, Dave. That's something. that's all that matters. I'm fine. Yeah, that's all that matters. He knows you're there. Uh, listening to Dave and you giving your thoughts on this week's episode, where Dave mentioned how he had completely missed the moment when Belle said she was having Vinda's baby. At that point, I had a moment of epiphany, which I hope is not going to be followed through by Chris Chibnall. With time being so mixed up and no longer having any clear path, could the baby be the Doctor? The timeless child. The child came through a portal, possibly an effect of the Flux damage to the universe. I really hope I am wrong as it smacks too much of Luke finding out that Darth Vader is his father, or more close to home the whole Amy-Rory-River triangle. I am really enjoying Flux, and I think it is a step up from the last two series, but hope that this will not be the end result but can see it being the case. What do you think? Thanks for the change of theme on the hot takes. Best wishes, Dave. You know, Dave must not like our rock and roll theme, Dave.
0: Or maybe he just likes a bit of change and variety in his life. Who knows?
1: He likes the Fraser version of the Doctor Who theme. Yes, well,
0: it is a good. It is good. <laughs> who, who doesn't like a Fraser version of anything, though Really? Yeah, true. Fraser makes everything better. Uh, look, Dave asks, what do we think? I think that his adding of two and two and getting four there is a very reasonable uh, sum to do. I, I, I can absolutely see that all those pieces do work with what they know. Uh, is it likely to be the outcome? If anybody other than Chris Chibnall was writing this, I'd say no, that just would be a ridiculous thing to do. Given that Chibnall has already given us The Timeless Child, I am not taking it off the table.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with that. You know, if this was Moffat writing it, I think, well, the most obvious thing is we're being set up that this is the, the doctor, their baby will be the doctor. So it's it's definitely not going to be that. But when it's Chris Chibnall, he's a, he's a bit more literal. Although we made a crack about it in our episode
0: four hot take, Rob, the fact mm. that that clunky line about your as-yet-unborn child, which <laughs> I have heard multiple podcasts and multiple... Comments on social media just call that out as a ridiculous piece of dialogue. The fact that that was deemed important enough and worthy enough to be put into the previously on Doctor Who bit at the start of episode four, they're they're, they're yeah. clearly going. You need to know. You need to make sure you know that Bell is pregnant.
1: Yeah, so they're really doubling down. They're on really
0: it. doubling down. So it's obviously important. Look, my alternate theory is that she comes from a culture where you know, like. O'Connor is the son of the Connors or McDonald' is the son of the Donalds. Bell Al is the son of Bell mm-hmm. and she's going to give birth to an exelon.
1: <laughs> very good, very good. It's got just as much chance of happening. Uh,
0: probably less. <laughs> and a final one from our notes who was written in following episode three. Hi there, my thoughts definitely sit quite comfortably or uncomfortably between yours Rob and Dave's. I too had moments of boredom, and I can't really figure out why, as I am happy with the format and the unanswered questions. Read the casual viewer. I think it's been quite well advertised that this is a six-part drama, which generally if you joined in at episode three, you would have questions, so I don't see that as a problem. Bell shooting and, for want of a better word, killing all the Cybermen is a bit ridiculous, as is the info dump, which I actually don't mind usually, but from a Cyberman? I thought the acting from all the main characters was good, but more swarm, please. The Ruth Mm. Doctor can take or leave. I'm definitely less excited by her presence than a lot of fans seem to be. Like all the episodes, you will ultimately be judged as a whole in much the same way as one of your reference programs, The Mandalorian. There are definitely similarities. Um, Just a side note there, can I also throw in Loki, which I think is also in a very similar vein to, to Flux.
1: Oh, really? I've never seen it, so...
0: Oh, there, there are some real parallels in um, in style and ideas going on there. Definitely right. something's in the ether. All in all, I did enjoy it, but some bits that didn't sit right, and yes, what a way to tell someone you are expecting. Keep up all the good work, and perhaps you two should schedule a break in December. No, maybe.
1: Yeah, we'll see. Um, look, look
0: I, I, again, agree with much of what Mahan said. I was very happy to see the Ruth Doctor back, but i did think that she didn't do much to be excited about i i thought there was a little bit of i don't know what you'd call it there but
1: i just felt it was a she bit... was downplayed you know definitely downplayed and i think that could be very conscious to just keep her from overshadowing jody because she certainly did that when she popped up in the previous uh, series
0: yeah she she was good but she wasn't kicking ass I, I thought she was fine and and look i think i called out the cyber exposition as my foul of that week so i'm in sync with martin there any other
1: thoughts from you rob Oh, I agree that shooting the Cybermen was very strange. I mean, she just had this pissy little pistol, um, and yet managed to to blow away Cybermen. I didn't think that was even possible, but she took them all out. It was mm, strange.
0: I just need to mention this as an aside, and this isn't a spoiler for season four, episode one of Discovery, because it happens in the first five minutes. Uh, but there is a scene in that where a couple of the crew are being pursued by multiple aliens all shooting at them multiple times. And there was a moment where I thought, gee, if fans are annoyed about how badly the Simon and the Sontaran shoot in flux, they're going to hate this. And 10 seconds later, one of the characters said, it's amazing we haven't been shot yet. Something must be up. It could be an atmospheric disturbance. And it became a plot point. <laughs>
1: <laughs> unbelievable so uh, that
0: was that was quite funny i said i would throw that in look thank you for sending in all those letters regarding the first three episodes of flux as we said once flux is over we will take a week or so off and then for our december episode which i think we're still throwing about whether we'll put in our usually last sunday slot or we'll put it in the sunday before christmas slot this this month we're still playing and just just seeing how alive we are after doing six hot takes i think um, and how much we've got to do but but after we've done our six hot takes uh, our december episode will be a flux look back a, a cold take and uh, in that we will read any other letters that come in about the second half of the series
1: will it be a post-mortem like last year dave
0: <sighs> well
1: it's going good so it's far. it's
0: going good so far i i actually think that chibnall's going to stick the landing
1: yeah? Okay.
0: And I think that because my word of the week at our last hot take was deliberate. And yes. I pointed out how deliberate even stuff in a self-contained episode like Village of the Angels was. And there's so much here being very deliberately set up, very, very carefully, that I think that he has got an ending in mind. And he's building towards it in a really competent way. So I have more faith in this one than I do when he was jumping around a whole lot of self-contained episodes, just throwing a little bit along and kind of got to the end and, and, and it didn't come together. I, I I have more hope for this one. Plus, generally, an average episode so far of Jodie's third season has been better than the average of the other two. I think it's fair to say. So,
1: mm.
0: logically, the average is higher, the ending will be higher. I think he's doing better. That's okay. that's my hope. Am I... Am I grasping at dreams here Rob?
1: No, no I don't think so. I think at this point everything's still there to play for. There's two episodes to go. Um, All I would really comment is that the day after this podcast goes out people will hear our hot take on the fifth episode and I think that's really got to start wrapping some stuff up. Surely it all can't be wrapped up in the final episode. There's already a lot of threads that need to be sort of tied, tied up, tied together, whatever he wants to do and if that doesn't happen in the fifth episode it means there's either a hell of a lot to do in the final episode or some things are just gonna not be things things that we thought were important and that were introduced just float off into the ether and that's very unsatisfying so we've just got to sit back and wait we can't we can't judge yet or
0: he's going to hold over a couple of big things for the final couple of episodes of jody over the next couple of years
1: the final couple, yes. I I still think the centenary special, because it was specially requested and maybe wasn't written as part of this overall story, um, I think that'll be its own thing. But maybe into the next two specials, yeah.
0: Look, I get where you're coming from there, Rob, but I would not be shocked if there is one main plot thread, probably surrounding The Timeless Child, maybe surrounding... Sasha Duan's master, that will continue and will will be the climax of the Jody era and possibly be responsible in some ways, or the cause in some ways, of her regeneration. I I think that if you're gonna have something look, Chibnall clearly thinks that the timeless child is slapping a great big hunk of awesome on the table. It's his big mm. thing. This is his big thing. And he thinks that it's awesome, and so is that the big thing that he's going to have going through his entire era and the big thing that he sees as being the exciting, dramatic and world-changing conclusion to his era? I think that's very possible, in which case he will wait till the very last minute to to finally dump what he's got on the table at the end. I, I, I can see that happening.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, look, it worries me. You know, this, this attitude that, oh, hey, kids, you know this thing you love, Doctor Who? here's how it all started, I've invented it, bang, whack it on the table. To me, the the Chris Chibnall, the fan of 30 years ago, would have thought that heresy, but does the Chris Chibnall of today, the writer, think that's just awesome, and I've got the power to do it, so I will do it? Oh, I don't know. Look,
0: I think he does. I think that there are fans out there that think the Timeless Child is a genuinely interesting and exciting development. I think there's probably a lot of casual viewers who are going, oh, wow, that's a twist I didn't see coming. How nice. What's for dinner? Mm. You know, different people are invested in different ways. Uh, What I can say with certainty is we have both enjoyed Flux so far. We've both given it good to very good scores. We had two nines out of ten for our last hot take. Uh, So I'm, I'm going to choose to be positive. But we will know very, very soon, uh, because the next time you hear from us, will be in a day's time when we are giving our hot take on episode five. A week later, we have a hot take on episode six, the big finale. Between then, we'll have our usual primary sources and list makers, and we will be back in the last or second last week of December with our monthly episode, which will be the Flux wrap-up. Is it a celebration? Mm. Is it a post-mortem? We don't know, (laughs) but do join us for a christmas spirit actually won't be remotely to do with christmas let's not pretend it'll be a christmas timed episode (laughs) on flux so you'll hear a lot more from us until then i've been dave
1: and i've been rob
0: we will speak again many times very soon farewell goodbye
1: you've been listening to the doctor show with rob and dave Find us online by searching for The Doctor Show! We also love it when you ride in. Drop us a line anytime at hello at thedwshow.net.